0: G'day. Welcome back. Darren Mitchell here. Another quick introduction to yet another fantastic conversation. Today, I had the privilege of speaking to Grant Lira, co-founder of an organization called The Empathy Firm based in Wisconsin in the United States. If you're a salesperson, if you're a sales leader, if you're an organizational leader, if you're somebody who's just looking to expand your reach and uh, create some PR, then uh, listen in because uh, Grant's organization, The Empathy Firm... He's an organization that's changing the way that organizations are not only providing value to the marketplace, but also building awareness in the marketplace as well. He shares lots and lots of gold throughout this conversation, but more than that, he is a really good bloke. So if you love listening to great conversations, then this is certainly one to invest the next 50-odd minutes in, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Let's go straight to the episode. All right. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Darren Mitchell on his beautiful Friday in uh, in the middle of uh, the winter months down here in Australia. And I get the pleasure of speaking with a very fine gentleman, Mr. Grant Alira, all the way from Wisconsin. And you've started the... Well, this is the first week of summer, my friend, over there, isn't
1: it? Yeah. And it uh, it feels like it. you know, Us Wisconsinites, we're not used to the hot weather so it's hitting us brutally but we're we're getting through it we're staying inside getting the fans on us we're we're surviving
0: man when we get the fans out right now where i live just north of melbourne it's um it's about four degrees cooler than melbourne so if i look at my temperature gauge right now my phone my trusty phone it is saying that right now it feels like get these 6.5 degrees celsius
1: that is chilly yeah
0: and last week there was snow about uh 10 minutes away. So um it's a beautiful place to be and it's a great time to be alive. So um <laughs> <laughs> so Grant, welcome to the podcast. It's um you and I um we've literally just uh connected. We've just jumped on the on the uh the fabulous zoom and had a bit of a conversation pre-recording this. Um, you are the co-founder of the Empathy Firm and uh love to delve into this because Whilst this is the exceptional sales leader, and predominantly we talk about you know sales and sales leadership principles, one of the key things around leadership and certainly sales is doing a thing called public relations and getting our message out there and trying to identify uh, our ideal client and how do we create a message that is attractive to those to those potential clients. So I'm really enjoy I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, as we said before, and if people have been listening to this podcast for a while. Um, we go off in different tangents. I don't have a list of questions that I'm going to ask you. So this is just a fireside chat. So we'll see where it goes. Sounds
1: good. Yeah. It sound, <laughs> that sounds perfect. That's how I like them. I don't like to be on the, the schedule on these podcasts where, you know, it feels robotic at some point. You well, it's really natural...
0: interesting, actually, just before we jump into, um, I will ask you a question and we'll sort of, I'll, go, I'll guide you through this. But Um, it's fascinating when I, when I do a podcast and I'll always get feedback after we finish and, and amazingly, most of the times, uh, people are saying, well, that was, that was really easy. That, that time flew and (laughs) it was a really easy conversation. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, sometimes when I go onto a podcast, I've got the podcast host who has a a list of questions as long as their arm and they're not listening to my answers. And I might be sharing absolute pearls of wisdom. And they go, oh, that's interesting. Uh, next question. <laughs> next question. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've I've done, and I do this daily when I train and mentor and, and do group facilitation, is you've got to listen. And you've got to listen and empathize, and you've got to actually um, utilize what is happening in the room or in the situation, and then trust it will be a question that comes out of that. So um, hopefully you're okay with that today.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there's so many parallels to be drawn from that to sales to just everyday life. Right. Like, I think there's so many um, usually younger salespeople who are new in the space who have their script or their bullet points and they're asking the questions for the sake of asking the questions. And they the prospect could say something that's like either a huge red flag or something they need to talk about more. And they're just like, cool. They answered that question let me go on to the next one and i think that's something where if you actually like take the time to really like look at the prospect and listen to them mm-hmm. they're going to tell you so much more than if you're just trying to say okay cool i have to ask these five or six qualifying questions so i can pitch you it's like one, should I even pitch you? Two, can I even help you? Two or three, what's what's the rest of your circumstance look like? Like what does this look like long term? Right. So yeah, I, I love how you set up the podcast and it's definitely something that you know will lend yourself well in all areas of conversation.
0: Well, I think I think it does. And and I actually had a podcast interview which I uploaded yesterday about the authentic sales leader who who's one of my clients, full disclosure. And we're talking about the the fact you need to be authentic and not and not go through the the box ticking exercise, which as you describe, a lot of particularly people in their early days of sales will will do that and probably because they don't know. Guilty of it. Yeah, well, so am I. I mean, I've I've been there and done that and certainly when I was a sales leader, I did the same thing as well. But the more experience we get and the more challenges we have to face, we realise that it's actually not about us. It's about the person we're having a conversation with and if we're there to be able to serve them and really listen to them and really empathise with them, then it may well be that what we have to offer is not a match and it's okay. And I say this to sales teams all the time. You don't actually have to go in and sell your product because quite frankly, your customer's not interested in your product. What they're interested in is maybe a solution to a problem that they either know they have or potentially they will have after they're having a conversation with you, but don't go and just tick the box and say, Hey, I've now got a product that I'm going to retrofit. So um, it's exactly
1: it's there. And that's one of the things that I also preach is like, you do not need to close everybody that you talk to, right? And that's one of the reasons why in that beginning conversation where I'm truly just listening to learn about their situation, learn what they're doing right, learn what they're doing wrong, you know, hear the issues they have. If I hear something in there, and they're telling me their goals, and I'm like, this is way out of our area of expertise, we cannot help them with this thing. This is not what our system is set up for. What I like to do is I have a, big network of, you know, friends and stuff like that, that also own businesses. So as they're talking and I'm realizing like, okay, this isn't a fit for us, but I'm thinking in my head, my friend Joe, he would be a perfect fit for this. And that's such a, it's a much more pleasant breakup on the call to say, Hey, look, I don't think I can help you guys with this situation. However, let me introduce you to my friend, Joe. He does X, Y, Z. He's the person to talk to about this stuff. He's going to be in much better hands. Cause I see so many people, you know, talking about, well, go to a downsell, you know, go to a course. It's like, if that course can't help the person, they're going to be pissed off at me anyway. And they're not going to buy me in the future. Like, let me help them with somebody who actually knows what they're doing in the um, area that they're looking for help in.
0: Totally, 100 percent mate. And that, and that that points directly to you're not showing empathy, which is got your you're, you're plotted you've planted everything behind you. For those of you who can't see this, but um has got the empathy firm, which is, which is his company, planted right behind him in the virtual space, which is fantastic. But also when that happens, it's it's saying to the the potential customer that, hey, I'm not here as a typical salesperson that's just trying to trying to retrofit a solution or a product or a service to try and close you. I'm actually here to serve you, and I, I don't. And I say this to salespeople all the time: you got to believe in your product, but that product doesn't necessarily belong and should it belong to everybody, right? So you've got to do the qualification really well. So, um, hey, that's um, I'm glad we set that that framework and that, that baseline. Uh, before we jump into what you do today, I would love to get a little bit, and certainly for the listeners who are listening to this right now, a bit of a bit of the background to um to Grant what's the Grant story because I know it's um it's a pretty interesting background and I know you do a few things but what's the what's the background and and really what we're getting to is what led you to start the empathy firm
1: yeah so when when I got out of high school I didn't really know what I wanted to go into um however I did join the army national guard in wisconsin so after high school i went to basic training i got to do some really cool things there i got to jump out of airplanes and airborne school like it was a fun time and they paid me for it right i was like this is awesome i love this yeah exactly um and so obviously you know with that comes benefits they pay for your schooling and stuff like that so i decided you know i i think i'll use those benefits and i'll go to school i'm not a hundred percent sure what i want to do here I'll figure it out along the way, right? I'll figure out what I want to do. And for the longest time, I I thought I wanted to go into um, human health and performance, like you know, weight training and overall health and fitness stuff. And the more I learned about it and the more I kind of learned about the actual business and economic space of it, it, it just became less and less appealing to me. But for myself, I really like to help and I really like to coach people. So that was what was appealing about that to me. And now I'm in the spot where I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. But I know that the sole reason of why I wanted to do this in the first place was out of service, like we're talking about, you know, what what would be the natural next step. So I end up actually, and it's funny how the universe works, met one of my friends from high school who went to the same college that I'm going to now. And we kind of reconnected. He's like, hey, I'm part of this business organization, you should absolutely stop by. I'd love to, you know, introduce you to the people and see if you want to join up. And I'm in my head, I'm like, Sure, man. Like, whatever. I'll join. Like, I'll, I'll talk for a little bit. But I, I didn't have any, you know, plan of joining. I'm like, I'll stay in for the meeting. I got in that meeting. I sat there and they were talking about business. They were talking about sales and something just like clicked in my head. I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is awesome. Because I always loved talking to people. Mm-hmm. If I could do that in a way that not only selfishly, you know, makes me money, but also more selflessly helps them solve an issue and actually create a better life for themselves. So I'm like that's amazing. So I started to join this organization. And it was actually around this same time, my brother, Gavin Lira, he gave me a call one night. And me and him always knew we wanted to do something in business, we wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And he was really the one that had the itch or the bug before I did, you know, he had some drop shipping stores and stuff that taught us very valuable lessons. Uh, They didn't necessarily work out, but we learned a lot from them. And one night he called me and he's like, hey, here's the idea I have, um, I wanna do it with you. Are you in? And you know he's my brother, I'm like, 100% I'm in. Yeah, so I had an internship at the time, I quit that. Um, I went full speed into empathy stuff, all the while while still being at college. And we just started to fail really, really quickly. And we learned from our failures so we wouldn't do those same, same things twice. We had some amazing mentors that we found. They helped us a ton. And then from the end of college, you know, I graduated, I've been doing this full-time since. And that really brings us into today, and you know what we're doing now. We manage an awesome team. We have some amazing clients that I'm super grateful to work with, and it's been a uh, it's been a really, really, really great learning experience. Because that's what this whole journey has been, right? It's learning. We haven't done this before. We've talked to people who have done this before, and they've saved us a lot of time and pain of making the mistakes that they've made. But in large, we have to fail for ourselves to make sure that we know the right way to do things, Mm -hmm. and we're going to find it. we might, you know, mess up once or twice along the way, but as long as we learn from those mistakes, I welcome failure.
0: You mentioned, um, like, I, I hear fast track. Excuse me, fast track and and learning from others' mistakes and and almost their experiences can help you go on a go on a like a shorter route. Not not to bypass, bypass like of the course. obstacles that you have to go through because it's part yeah. of the evolution of learning. But. Um, I'll just make a note here. Coaching and coaching and mentoring is, is a key thing they want to touch on. So the you say your brother comes to you and says, Hey, I got this great idea. And you say, Yep, I'm in. What was it? Was it something, was it more about the fact that you you were driven by wanting to do it and, and a desire to do something with your brother? Or was it the fact that the pitch of the idea was like, this just makes sense, like the the stars are aligning, or was it a bit of a combination of everything?
1: You know, truly, um, my, my brother is an amazing person, and I, I consider myself blessed to be his brother. I'm super grateful for him, and he's, he's one of those people when there's an issue or if there is a hurdle or a speed bump, he'll figure out how to get over it, or figure out how to circumvent it. So when I heard this idea, you know, I could hear the conviction in his voice. And I know that if he's telling me this, he's thought this through and you know, it's passed through his head. And he's like, Yeah, I think we want to do this. And I want to do it with my brother. And so for me, you know, if he's saying that to me, um, I wholeheartedly believe in him, I know he wholeheartedly believes in me. And when you have that, um, I I don't want to say that much power, but you have that much of a connection with somebody and you're both on that same wavelength. Like that's when things can get really, really um that's when things can get really, really fast tracked in terms Mm -hmm. of dedication and time, right? Because just like I'm sure a lot of people who are maybe listening or have started their own business before, you know that you worked your ass off in the beginning. Like you were up all night long. There were nights when me and Gavin, this is actually This is a funny story. When we were in college, right? And this was before we ever had a client, this was before we even had an LLC or a website, right? We were doing all this stuff to set up the foundation, probably three nights a week. And mind you, both of us were in school full-time at this time, three nights a week, me and him would go down to the university building, which is this big building in the middle of campus. And it's usually locked. We, without fail, always found at least one door that was open we would go into one of the classrooms, we would set up our shop and we would work until like seven in the morning from like, you know, we usually start like five at night, seven in the morning, get maybe an hour of sleep before class and, and head out. But those times there, were some of the most like fond memories. They were some of the most fun that I had actually doing that with my brother. Yep. And that was all set up doing the very basic groundwork. So to answer your question, I know I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but I really do believe it was because my brother who is somebody that I admire and trust with my life. was like, hey, I believe in this idea. I believe in you, I want you to do it with me. Are you in? Of course, yes, No, no question.
0: So there was no, there was no assumptive close. It was just like, yeah, of course, because there's a there's a trust yeah. there, there's a bond there. And when you talk about connection, you know, when I hear that and I talk to salespeople all the time and sales leaders, that you cannot you cannot sell anything to anybody if you don't have a connection. And when I say selling to, it's not, it's not the thought process is well, people are gonna be buying. I'm not selling anything because I've got nothing to convince you of, but yeah. nothing is nothing is possible unless there is a strong connection. There has to be a rapport. And what I'm getting to here is the Empathy Firm and the, and the name behind that and the purpose behind that because, you know, as a, as a salesperson, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, you're there to serve, which means it stands to reason you have to be selfless, which also means that you have to have a high level of empathy with people in order for you to be able to serve and solve problems. So you got the idea. You said, yep, jumping in. Um, and I'm sure that the, like every organization, the early days, early months, and maybe early years, weren't all roses and chocolates. There's lots of challenges, but, and we yes. can get into some of that stuff, but um, love to know the, the empathy firm. Where how did that come about in terms of the name and, yeah. and what's the, what's the core purpose of, of the organization?
1: Yeah. and. And that's another funny story, you know, when <laughs> it was actually one of the, it was, yeah, well, it was one of these nights when me and Gavin essentially broke into the university building at the center of campus. Right. And we were in there really well, late at night.
0: If the light, if the, if the door was open, man, it's technically not breaking in, right?
1: Exactly. Yes. Very. Yeah. We didn't break in any windows or anything. We just walked in the door. So that was our story if a security guard saw us. Um, but essentially we, we were, you know, It was towards the phase of the beginning where we were kind of approaching the end of the beginning and getting ready to like actually go into the world and, you know, start helping people. And one of the last things that we wanted to set up was our business name. You know, what are we calling ourselves? What are we going to put on the LLC? We need to figure that out. So what we did is we took a bunch of note cards and we started with our core values, right? What are our core values? What are our guiding lights in our business? What are we always going to follow? We wrote all those down on a piece of uh, note card and we put them you know, just on a table and we spread them all out. And we're looking at all of them, right? Cause there was probably like 10 or 15 on the table and we're looking at all of them and every single one that was on there, could be drawn to empathy right it had something to do with empathy yeah and so we're looking at them and of course empathy was on the table too but we're just like these are all basically going right back to empathy why don't we just call our company the empathy firm and even further than that we before we did the note card experiment we asked some of our friends who we connected with through social media and we were just asking them questions before you know we started um our business what's the number one thing that you guys feel is missing in the marketing firm space? What do you guys wish that the firms you work with actually did better? And every single answer boiled down to, I wish these people had more empathy. I wish these people actually listened and understood and felt like they cared about me rather than just trying to you know, keep me as a client so I keep paying them. So it was really clear to us that in our hearts, it was always empathy, but then from real market feedback and people telling us what they wanted, empathy was missing as well. So it came perfectly together.
0: Love it. Love it, and as you as you're talking there, you're talking about your deep your values. I'm just um, I've got your website up here, and um, yeah, yeah. I often and I often do this with sales teams and and businesses as well in terms of because they'll all say yeah we value this and we value that and so well, that's fantastic. But what are your values? And uh, it's amazing how many of them when you ask that question, it's crickets. They don't know, or they apply lip service to it. So with the empathy firm, so for the for the guys that are listening to this, um, we've got accountability. So taking responsibility, humanity, which is caring holistically, curiosity, which is thinking imaginatively. And as as business people, as salespeople, as leaders, we need to be curious. Initiative, um, acting courageously, which is I think is fantastic. Transparency, practicing honesty, fascinating, which doesn't necessarily always go hand in hand with big business, big organizations. Um, The last one is tenacity, persevering creatively, and so that, that's, that's the empathy firm. Now, a hundred percent. Yeah. And with that, um, when you work with organizations, um, cause part of it's going to be, there has to be a match between what they stand for yeah. and what you stand for. So, um, that, that's a really important, really important thing.
1: And one of the, you know, things that we look for now in our sales process, which as a salesperson, you know, you're the gatekeeper to your organization. You decide who gets to come into the kingdom. You're the person who gets to turn people away, right? And that's a really, really important role. Because Mm -hmm. if you're somebody who tries to sell everybody, and obviously you're going to close people, of course, you're going to let some people into your kingdom that have no business being there, they're going to cause a ton of issues for your fulfillment team, they're going to be their headache, they're going to be stressed out, which means that now the other clients are suffering, because they're focusing so much on this one nightmare client. So it's really your job to make sure that every single person you talk to, you see as a long term client, not just a commission check, right. So like, one of the things that I've implemented, in my sales process, which now is like a, a staple in what I do and it has to pass, no questions about it. Even if they're a perfectly qualified client, they have a need, they have the money, they have everything. If they don't pass this task, they don't get into the kingdom. I call it the drink test or the beer test. And it's essentially <laughs> if I wouldn't want to have a drink with this person after you know I get off the clock, I don't want to, I don't want to introduce them to my team. They're going to be a nightmare to work with. They're going to cause so many issues and that's just going to affect the whole organization. So we've done it multiple times where we've had people come to us and they've been on paper, perfect fits. But I get on the call, the guy's either being rude, he's not cooperating or whatever the case is. I'm like, <laughs> hey man, I don't think we're going to be able to help.
0: Love it. Love it. And I love that. It it doesn't pass the beer test. So would you sit down and have, have a beer with this person, which when you think about it, is um is such a powerful filter because what it's saying is I don't think there's a match between what we believe in, yes. what we stand for, i.e. our values, and what you are, I guess, creating in front of me in terms of an impression. So, uh, and if you get and and part of this will be probably intuition as well. So yeah, on paper they might look pretty good, but I just get this sense of this might be a little bit bit challenging down the track. So it's a, and- it's a good thing to think about.
1: And you know, like there are some people who are genuinely good fits, but maybe they're not like what we would consider, you know, super friendly and like really excited to be on the call. They're just there to understand, you know, if you guys are the fit to help them. And for me, I think that's perfectly, I think that's perfectly acceptable. You know, I don't need to be like our client's best friend. And if they're down to business and they just want to know if this is the fit, that's perfectly fine with me. I think there's, I think there's two realms in report building. I think that the first realm is the realm everyone usually thinks of when they think about rapport, you know, how's the weather, where are you from, all that stuff. And that's great. You know, that can build rapport. But I think one of the more powerful ones is respect. Like, do you respect the prospect? Do they respect you? Most times I found when there's a client who, or a prospect that ends up, you know, taking that more I'm here to figure stuff out approach, but they're not being rude or anything like that. I'm perfectly fine within the beginning, building no rapport, jumping into things and then challenging them when I hear them say something that, you know, for my experience working in this field, I haven't seen to be true or just something that I see flawed in what they're doing now through, you know, learning from failures of mine or our clients. So, and that becomes powerful when you can like, I don't want to say call them out, but let them know like, Hey. I don't agree with that. And here's why, what do you think? They're like, Hmm, that's actually a good point, Grant. I didn't think about it that way. You're that's a great way to build rapport. Cause they're looking at you as an expert trusted friend, right? That's who they're looking at you as. And you notice friend is last on that list. Oh, absolutely. expert trusted friend. So th- that's just another thing that I've kind of learned is you don't always have to be the person's friend, but, but you want to make sure you're doing what's best for them.
0: Oh, hundred percent. And as you said, through that process, you can actually build rapport Cause you don't have to agree with everybody. And there are too many people out there. And I see it all the time in the sales game that salespeople want to build this. And it's almost like this artificial rapport. They want to be friends with the prospect so they can get on their right side. So it makes it easier to then use the sleight of hand to get the product underneath them and all that sort of stuff. You got to think about where does the balance of power sit? And it comes back to your belief in, Hey, I've got the elixir here. I just don't give this to anybody. So, what I'm here to do is actually identify whether first of all you have a problem. And the second thing is, do you want to solve that problem? If there's the answer to either of those two questions is no, then there's no point us continuing the conversation. Yeah. And, hey, we've got a connection, but you know, have a nice life, go and drink beer with somebody else. So when you think about the <laughs> the the empathy firm, because I like to talk about the the problem that you solve in the marketplace. So yes. you, we've done some work in terms of come up with the name. Um, we've got the values we not we stand for. Uh, so what is because people will be sitting there thinking, oh, what is the empathy firm? What does the empathy firm actually do? Because it's a really interesting name for a company. So Grant, what is the what is the problem you solve? What do you what do you provide to the marketplace?
1: Well, what we do is we essentially help people build personal brands, build their um, industry thought leadership, and build new warm organically lead bound or excuse me, lead gen channels through conventional and non-conventional media. So what does that mean? Essentially what we do is we get people onto podcasts where they have their ideal client profiles as listeners. So they're getting introduced to this big audience of people who had no idea who they were beforehand. They get to rapidly like, know, and trust them through listening to that person for a 30, 40 minute interview. And then something cool that we created, um, not Terribly long ago, you know, probably less than a year. Um, we, we, we noticed that, you know, these podcasts would have 45, 30, an hour long of just raw footage. Yeah. And we're looking at that and we're like, wow. I think that one of people's biggest <laughs> fears or maybe one of their biggest pain points around actually doing content in social media is just the time it takes. Because yeah. if you like, I know that I'm this way, if I was to try to like record short form video content for 60 seconds, right. That's how long it is. It's going to take me 10, 15, 20 minutes sometimes to get the perfect take, get everything right. And then you're on to the next one. So now, we looked you, at you that saying, and we are said, you, saying
0: you don't, um, you don't do it in one take. <laughs>
1: No, no, no. No matter uh, no matter what anyone says, I try do it <laughs> one day. I promise you that. And if you look through all my deleted videos I have, there are thousands of them where it's like, it's so many takes. But that's my why here. we look my at here. this and we're like, people are so, you know, naturally flowing and stuff like this, especially when the host's good. It's super easy just to have a conversation and not be in the mindset of, I need to be perfect on camera. And so we looked at that and we created what we call the Michelangelo system. Why we call it the Michelangelo system is because, you know, the sculptor Michelangelo, he always said that he saw the sculpture in the block of marble before he ever put hammer to chisel and started, you know, creating it. And that is exactly how we feel about podcasts. We know that the content's in there. We need to be the people to chisel it away, make it pretty and actually give these people something to now the juice that they're, or the, yeah, the juice that they're getting from this squeeze is not just podcast. And it's not just the brand industry leadership. It's not just the warm lead gen. Now they're doing everything else on social media. I mean, everything we, we repurpose the crap out of this stuff. It's crazy how much stuff that we actually give our clients for it. And I'm, I'm getting excited talking about it because it was <laughs> It took us a long time to build the system and now that it's up and working it feels so good. <laughs> so I hope that answered the question of what we
0: do. Well, it, well it does because the other the other part of this of course is um like the ideal the ideal customer, right? Because yeah. Like I've I've been doing a podcast for well since since April 2020. So when covid nice. took a took a, a stranglehold, we thought, you know what, we're being locked down. I'd been uh, I'd been talking, you know, what should I say? Procrastinating over the past five <laughs> years before that. So oh, I must get to a podcast. I love to do a podcast, and then just eventually all the excuses were removed because we we're locked down, right? So hey, it's we just, got
1: the time now.
0: <laughs> you know? There's no excuses, dude. So you know, cut the shit and get on with it. So I have, and and I think I'm, I'm approaching. I think that this episode today that we're doing is probably 592 or something. So we're we're getting there. Whoa. So nearly nearly to 600
1: good on you for the consistency
0: yeah but it's um but it's a case of the, the same thing it's it's just a, it's a slow burn but it's a it's a regular burn and as we've talked about you know you, you get people coming from all over the place who just happen to come across it and you start to build your network and and so how do we how do we fast track that so what I'm what I'm now thinking of is is people who are out there who may be in a sales role. They may be in a sales leadership role. There might be a small business. There might be a large business trying to actually, you know, penetrate a certain market or expand their reach without going through the traditional marketing funnels. Um, it sounds like this, this approach is a really cost-effective and um, uh, PR-effective
1: process. Would that be fair? Yeah. And you know, I'm biased, of course, but yeah, yes, cool. I do agree with you. Um, one of the things that at least I think is really unique about podcasting, when you're looking at all the different marketing channels that we're all you know, familiar with, a lot of those channels that we're thinking of, Instagram ads, YouTube ads, Google ads, they're an intrusive form of marketing. And what I mean by that is when somebody goes to, let's say, YouTube, for example, and they have a YouTube ad pop up. I don't know a person that sits through and watches the ad all the way. Most of the people I know have their mouse hovering over that skip button and they're just waiting for it to count down. Right. If we're on Instagram, we're so like ad by now, we don't even realize when the ads come up and we just scroll right past them. That's we're not there to look at ads. We're there to see what our friends are doing and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. that's it. That, so that's what's interesting to me about those forms of marketing, which are intrusive podcasting is this really unique beast right now, because it's inclusive, right? People come to you to listen to you for 30 or 45 minutes with today's attention span. That's that's nuts, right? Yeah. And if you are trying to break into a new market, if you're trying to talk to an existing market that you've already, you know that these are your buyers, like that's a great time, not just to advertise to them, not just to market to them, but to have a dialogue and yeah. have them understand like, this is exactly the person that I'll be working with. Here are their values. Here's their story. I feel like I already know enough about this company. Like I mm-hmm. want to get on a call with these people. These are yeah. my people, you know? And through the podcast itself, you know, the, the like, no trust factor is something that we all, we, we have to hit, you know, those three things if we um, work with somebody, right? We have to like them to some extent. We have to trust them and we obviously have to know who they are. Like who who is this person? Okay, yeah. now I like them. Now I trust them. We just see that that's a super... Unique way to actually get people to learn about you, and not just have marketing shoved down their throat.
0: It's a um. When when you're talking there, it sounds and in my in my brain, I'm thinking, yeah, Grant, this is common sense, right? So <laughs> yeah. it it, ma- it makes so much common sense, and yet I think I think we as business people, as business owners, as leaders, as salespeople, as organizations, as executives, we tend to overcomplicate stuff, and we we tend to ignore the fact that. The simplest approach is often staring at us in the face. And for whatever reason, we're saying, no, nah, no, nah, that's too easy. Right? <laughs> so yes. to be able to get onto a podcast and be able to have a, have, a, have a conversation, and this is the key thing, being able to deliver tangible value to an organization, to a person, to a marketplace, to somebody else without any expectation in return is, 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 is Hey, it's cheap marketing first and foremost, but it starts to build credibility. So you mentioned the the no like and trust factor. That's exactly what it does. The thing that I've found from just podcasting myself is that when people because you don't know who's listening, right? And I have no visibility yeah, as to who's yeah. a subscriber, right? Because it's just it's just the world yeah. that we live in around podcasting. Who knows? All we get is download numbers, which is which is pretty cool. So 70 odd plus countries in around the world is from nothing is is fantastic, right? So still awesome. scratching the scratch on the scratch but you have no visibility. But what tends to happen is every now and then there'll be a conversation or be an email that comes in and say, hi, hey, I've been listening to your podcast. And I don't know this person from, from Adam, but when we get onto a Zoom call or a conversation, because they've been listening to me, I have already established a level of credibility. So it's almost like they already know me. And so often I'll get the feedback to say, hey, Darren, you sound exactly the same as you do on the podcast. And I'll say, well, thanks for that. Probably because that is me on the podcast. (laughs) So, so, and and the thing is, it's evergreen as well. So I'm sure you're finding this with with the work that you do that, you know, getting people on podcasts and to, to start to, I guess, spread their wings and add value, it's evergreen. So it's always out there.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, something where it's absolutely the popcorn effect. And that's something that I think if people have grown their own business or even just looked at their own arc of their life and how they've kind of grown to the person they are today, the popcorn doesn't pop right away, right? You have to place all the kernels in the pan and the more kernels you place, you know, all of a sudden pop, 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 it, it all starts. And, and that's exactly how I look at podcasting. Cause in the beginning, you know, yeah, you might have a few leads immediately reach out to you and start, you know, asking more about what you do. But once you have that, you're sitting essentially in 30, 40, hundred different online lobbies, just waiting to talk to people. You're on these digital stages waiting to talk to these audiences who are listening. When yeah. you can do that to up to a hundred stages at a time, like that popcorn starts to pop and it's pretty it exciting when it does.
0: It does. It does. So without, um, without going into the negative, I do want to talk about challenges and yeah. and, and in, in in any business, in any enterprise, in any sales career, any career per se, any life, there's going to be challenges. So can you talk to me about some of the challenges that you and Gavin have, have experienced um, establishing the Empathy Firm? And, and you know, you're four years in, um, or four or five years into the into the business, and you know, you've built a pretty good following and and got some great momentum, which is fantastic. Because um, what I'm looking for is is uh, as you mentioned before, the coaching and mentoring part you would have gone through some stuff that others who have gone before you yeah. have experienced, which meant that you could learn from that. But I know that there's people who are now working with you or now listening to you who are now going to go through something similar and get something from what your challenges have been. So they can have a bit more of a shortcut. So the, the, I guess the, I guess the, the form of a better term, the go to market strategy becomes a little bit closer, a little bit slower, but quicker because of the experiences that you've had. So what were some of the key challenges that you had to face with with Gavin in the early days or even still today?
1: Yeah, yeah. There, there's two distinct ones that come to my mind. The first one is targeted more at the salespeople, the frontline troops, the people who are the, the gatekeepers, right? That's where this one's targeted at. When I first got into sales, like I said, I I sucked. And you know, and you know what I'm talking about. When you go back and you listen to those calls, when you were first like ever doing sales, you can't, you can't listen to them. You're like, okay, I have to shut this off. This is making me like physically uncomfortable listening to myself like this. I hate it. And I think that was something where I fully expected that I wasn't going to close a deal for, you know, four or five months. Like I just knew I was going to have to go in there, fail, learn my system, learn what people actually want from us, adjust everything about what I'm doing to present it in a way that makes sense to them. Right. Mm So for me, it was really like, being too dumb to quit and just keep <laughs> doing what I'm doing and knowing that, Hey, if I do this enough and this goes, this is true of anything in life. If you do something long enough, even if you feel like you're horrible at it right now, if you're consistent with doing that thing, you are going to improve. So a big thing that I had, you know, the um, I, I had a lot of pressure on me because it was just me and Gavin in the beginning. I was the gatekeeper to the company. I was the one who was actually setting the business up for success because we needed clients to have a business, right? You yeah. won't be in business very long with no clients. And so that's, an, that's a massive amount of stress. You know, whenever we had that meeting, which back in the day, we were prospecting 100% ourselves. So it was all manual. So whenever that meeting came up on the calendar, like that, that, was, that was time to perform, you know? Yeah. And before I really knew what a good sales pace and conversation looked like, um, I, I blew a lot of those. And it was really... I could have let it discourage me, and I've could have you know gotten in my own head about it and really just said, "I'm not good at this. I don't think this is for me. Maybe I should try something else." But going back to the being too dumb to quit, what went wrong there? How can I fix it? And the biggest thing that helped me through that struggle was watching tape and watching myself and listening to myself. What I would do is I would. This might sound insane, but in the beginning, what I would do is I would watch the. Recording in its entirety, just as is, right? Then I would watch it again with no sound, just body language. Yeah. And I'm watching that and I'm looking how the prospect is and I'm looking how I am. Then I'd watch it again with no visual, just listening to our words and listening to how we're saying. And when you kind of strip those senses, you know, when you lose one sense, others get stronger. Yeah. And you can tell, like my body language looks quite crazy. I'm swaying all over the place. Like I'm doing all this weird stuff. I wouldn't trust me. I look insane. Or you hear your voice <laughs> or like this guy, you can, you can hear that this guy is on commission. Like he is so eager and he's telling this person why he's going to do all these things. Like I, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that either. So that was a huge thing to realize like, Hey, I need to change these things. And then just making those changes each day, getting a little bit better until again, the popcorn, right? Yeah. So that's the first thing that we struggle with a lot. Second one's a little quicker, um, but this goes for more of the the owners, you know, the entrepreneurs, that kind of stuff. Your your product needs to be on point because if you have a salesperson and they're closing these deals and they believe in the company, you're 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 going to be great, you know. Especially if you have good fulfillment. If you don't have good fulfillment that salesperson's going to have to work a lot harder cuz they're going to be have to they're going to have to be closing clients every month to fight your horrible attrition issue. Yeah. And they're eventually going to hear about this. They're eventually going to hear either from a prospect they closed that the system was awful or just from like looking internally at team emails and stuff they're going to be like, "Oh man, maybe uh this system that I'm, you know, saying is so great actually doesn't work." And even if they're like no, no, no. It's, it's not us. It's them. And they tell themselves that like, everything's fine. Subconsciously, that's going to soak through into the sales conversations. And they're going to be like subconsciously being like, ah, yeah, man, I I think it'll work for you guys. I mean, maybe, you know, and that's something that then is just going to have this whole effect of like, now we can't get clients in the door because our salespeople don't believe in us. Now we can't keep clients because our systems are horrible. Take the time. Actually set up a system that works and gets results repeatedly. Make sure that you have systems and processes built out so you can hand it off to anybody and they can do it because that is going to affect your entire organization from the fulfillment backend team all the way to the frontline salespeople.
0: It's a great, it's a great answer. And I, I fully agree. And one of the one of my key philosophies that I share with sales teams all the time is the sale doesn't actually start. Until after the sale is made, right? So if you're yeah, continuing yeah. To, to sell, 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 that's great on the front end. You might have a salesperson that's check picking up the commission check and they're they're happy. But if you cannot continue to deliver according to the promises that have been made, then you're going to start to unravel the sale and it's going to be horrendous experience, not just for the client, but you won't have a sustainable business. So you've got to have a good product, as you you said. You've got to have um, trust in your processes that you can deliver on the promises that you make to the marketplace because my my own experiences having um, done a lot of things over the years and buying a lot of stuff is the great salespeople are the ones that never let you go. And that's not a derogatory term. It's the ones that actually show a genuine interest in you and they show a genuine empathy in you so that after the sale is made, it's not just one transaction. They're going to make sure yeah. that what they delivered, the company delivers, that you're happy yeah. with it. If there's any challenges, they want to know about it so they can have input in how they've improved the process. It's not just because because then when you see it, okay, you go and buy a car and most people don't hear from the salesperson from the moment they sign the contract for the car, right? Yeah. The great salesperson is the one that knows when your birthday is, knows you got family, knows you got kids, knows what footy team you break for knows all this sort of stuff and keeps in regular contact because that says, hmm, they're interested in me. They care about me. Um, and maybe when there's people that I know in my network who might be in the buying cycle for a new car, that person is going to be the first one I think about. And that comes back to the trust factor.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's, so That's spot on.
0: So what you say there is, okay, and what I get from that is you said you're too dumb to quit, right? So you didn't know. And that sometimes <laughs> yeah. naivety is probably a good thing. And I say this to sales, you know, new salespeople all the time. Don't get too ahead of yourself, right? Just always be conscious of never thinking you've learned everything. There's always something new to learn. So just have a voracious appetite, which comes back to one of your key values as, as curiosity. But also make sure you can deliver what you promise on, on that. And yeah. you know, whether that be returning a phone call, whether that be delivering a service that you promise, whether that be delivering a product that you promised at the quality that you promised. Make sure you do whatever you can to deliver that. And if you do that, you're going to have a good business.
1: I I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the the buyer's remorse is something that isn't the, usually, like 90% of the time isn't the fulfillment team's fault or the company's fault. It's usually the salesperson's fault who maybe overpromised something, didn't completely understand how their system works. And that's something I actually recommend that all salespeople in any company go through is like treat me as a client as if I just closed. What happens next? Oh mm-hmm. I got this nice welcome email. Awesome. okay, I book my you know um, onboarding call. I do that stuff. now what? Like what do I yeah. do now? Because we we you know me and Gavin treated ourselves as the clients in the beginning because um, one to test systems and make sure things were working right, but then also yeah. to make sure people know, hey, we drink our own Kool-Aid, we do this stuff too. Um, and through that experience of actually being a client of empathy, that makes a big difference. And I'm still a client of Empathy now, right? And through that process, I learn, and I can even see things before, you know, a client complains about them, I'm like, oh, hey, I didn't get a notification about this one we need to look at how we're actually booking these notifications to make sure they pop off or hey i never got an email from this host did they email us yeah. they did it just went to you know a different inbox like okay we need to standardize who so you as a salesperson you know if you can i understand this isn't applicable to everybody but if you can be a client of your own service hundred percent do it because not only will you reap the benefits of your system you'll also see oh hey this is how it actually goes i thought it went this way and this is a downfall of our system. We need to address this here.
0: That's it. That's it. And, and that, that, is, that, is a, that is a key point because there are so many examples. And I and I'm I'm a living one when I was in corporate, you know, being a being an employee of an organization and then being customer of an organization, uh, it's almost like which one doesn't go with the other one. It's not a, we say we're very customer-centric, but you try working for this organization and uh, I'm not quite sure that we've got our values aligned here um so <laughs> it's just very very fascinating <laughs> so um the other question i wanted to ask you of course um around this is uh, size of organizations and are you predominantly at the moment just north america based or based on podcasts um are you do you have the goal and i'm just going to put words in your mouth for global domination
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah short answer is 100 um so right now you know our Our ideal client is anywhere from the 20 to 200 employees. We find that that's a pretty good company size that we see good results for. Um, And we do have clients from overseas, you know, from London, South America, stuff like that. So we are um, global, um, in the sense that it's cool, because a lot of the times, you know, podcasts don't necessarily have a region, you know, they can reach people all over the world. So obviously, there are some podcasts that are based in, let's say, like Latin America, that would be more listened to by a Latin American audience. But there's absolutely still going to be people in North America or in you know, London that are listening to this podcast. So it really comes down to like, well, is your client somebody who lives in this region, or does it look like this persona? Because if it looks like this persona, we can get that client from everywhere. If it's yeah. somebody that lives in this region, podcast uh, podcasting is pretty horrible at targeting geographically, so we're probably not the right fit.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. And and the and the fact that you've got such a global platform of a podcast, as you say, because I had no intention when I started. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know what if I get two or three listens from the, you know, some of the old mates or some of my network, happy days. And then all of a sudden I'm getting, hang on, Wisconsin, South America, <laughs> like the U S the U S is the second largest audience for me. right? Which is
1: fantastic. And it's just, it's just unbelievable. You just yeah, it and you, exactly. And you said you you're listened to by like 70 different countries. Like that's nuts. Where else can you get a reach like that where people are not just watching a short video or something, but listening to you for 30, 45 minutes? That's insane.
0: insane. Totally insane. Totally insane. Now, I do want to touch on, um, you mentioned coaching and mentoring before, and that is it's, and yeah. it's probably really important for, everybody listening. Cause I, I bang on Cause look, full disclosure, I'm a coach, I'm a mentor. um I do this every single day. Right. But I'm also, you should know
1: more than anyone how important it is.
0: Well, and you talk about drinking your own Kool-Aid, right. We're always investing in coaches and mentors and, and, and we should continue to be how much, how much of, and look, you don't have to necessarily have a mentor that you pay because mentors could be yeah. people that you read from a book or yep. you listen to a podcast that can become a mentor for you. um. How much, how much of an impact for you and Gavin has mentoring and coaching been in the not just the development of the empathy firm, but the, I guess, the progression of where you are right now, and and what's yeah. what's to come?
1: I, I think I can safely say that having quality mentors has shaved, you know, maybe generously two years off, maybe more of our, you know, growth curve. And it was something where, and and this is so cool in my opinion, we have the internet at our fingertips right now. And all of these mentors are out there on the internet, whether they're on LinkedIn, whether they're on Instagram, whether they're on Twitter, whether they're anywhere, if you can figure out a way to reach out to these people. Not like everybody else does and says, I want to be your student. I want to be your, you know, mentee. Like, what can I do? Like, They get a ton of those. Like, if you can find a way to actually get in touch with them creatively, more often than not, they're like, okay, this person's a little bit different. Like, what's their deal? And that's actually how we got some of our first um, mentors that really helped us out is we would reach out to them online. And I mean, in the beginning, especially, you know, because if you're brand new starting a business, there's a trillion things that you need to do. And there's a trillion and one things that you don't know how to do. So learning from somebody is so huge in that respect. Cause they'll tell you straight up, they're like, don't waste your time there. That's not something you want to go into yet. You need to focus on this first, right? Yeah. Or, Hey, I thought the same thing. It cost me this much money and this much time. I yeah. did this instead, maybe follow that. Right. And so that's something too, where like That's like obviously, you know, paid mentorship. And that's, you know, sometimes if the person resonates with you enough, they'll be like, dude, we'll hop on a call once a month. Absolutely. Like, I love, you know, helping young yeah. business owners like that's what I live for and there's a ton of people out there like that but then you also have people who do the free content online and yeah. like one of my favorites is Alex hermosi I think he puts out some of the best online content for free out there he gives everything away he has really um I've never heard somebody break sales down like he does he does it very cool because he takes you through logically why stuff works and what's missing in people yeah. and you know how you can kind of help them realize that hey what you guys are facing right now actually isn't as big of an issue as you have think if we take these steps you know here's how to do it we can do it for you um but he he has a lot of really cool videos and lessons that I like but one of the best books I've ever read which I consider a mentor now the author um of this book because I read that in the beginning that completely changed my outlook on sales but more importantly just life and people in general um how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie like literally I think everybody should read that book it helped me so much understand like how we think as humans. And as I'm reading this book, I'm like, oh shit, that's me. Like, yeah, I completely, think that way, and this guy is spot on. So if anything else, if you don't have the time, whatever, to reach out to people online or watch video, give that book a read because it's something that you'll want to reread again and again throughout your career just to keep it in your mind because it's so immensely powerful and it's timeless. That book was written a, a long time ago. I don't know when like it was 90, written, 20, but a long, I think. 90, Yeah, and it still holds yeah. up.
0: Like it still yeah. holds up so well. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, and look, there's so many, there's so many books, and when you think about a lot of the the modern day, quote unquote gurus, um, <laughs> a lot of those, a lot of those principles stem from the books like Dale Carnegie's book, yes. or you know the um, the Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill and and William and James Allen and all those sort of play, people from you know over a century ago, because they are timeless timeless principles. But the core cool thing I get out of that. Uh, Grant, is that in order for us to be successful either as a business owner, as a leader, as a salesperson, as a person, human being, is surround yourself with good people. Surround yourself with good people who have your interests at the center of their attention, who are there to serve you. They are not there to take from you. And if you can do that, it'll be a lot easier for you to be more naturally empathetic and just watch what happens
1: hundred percent. And if you surround yourself with people like that, you know, there, there's a sense of, um, not competition, but there's a sense of like, okay, these people aren't slacking off. These people are doing really impressive things. I'm not going to be the one who slacks off. Like I need to up my game or I need to do something else. You know what I mean? I need to keep on track with these people because we're all winning together. Like we want that to happen. And I think Absolutely. it's equally true when, you know, you meet somebody and, Maybe you think they're something and they turn out not to be to know when to cut those ties and know when in the long term that's not going to be a person that's beneficial for your goals and your vision. And it's it, you, you it takes a lot of empathy in yourself to realize you have to do that because it's not fun and it's definitely not easy. But it's something that you owe to yourself to make sure that you're setting yourself up and your family, your legacy up for, you know, as 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 well as you can. And sometimes, unfortunately, that does look like, you know. Not talking to some people.
0: Oh, absolutely. But and and this is the thing. And and somebody who was somebody said to me the other day, it was just it was just a it was just a salesy conversation we're having. And he goes, Oh, there's so many people out there that think there's just a limited number of customers. And it was in the context of (laughs) it was in the context of corporate because there are some people who are very protective of their patch and you know, don't come into my area. And he goes, It's ridiculous because there's an abundance of customers. The only time there's going to be a limited customers is when people stop having children. Right. So they don't, don't worry about the fact that there's no customers out there because there are customers everywhere. There are clients everywhere. Yeah. We just have to figure out what's the problem that we are going to solve. How can we solve that problem? And do we have clients, potential clients who might be interested in understanding whether they have that problem and whether they want to solve it?
1: That's it. That's my job. Well put. Yeah. I mean, that's literally all it is. And like within, you know, there being, unlimited customers there really are and the way that we look at you know competition for those of you listening that was air quotes um (laughs) it's something where we we like regularly talk with our competition and we ask them what's working what's not they give us feedback we give them feedback we exchange you know stuff that we found out because the thing is when you're working in the same industry with people your prospects are going to know everybody everybody who owns the businesses are going to start to know each other and you know know of each other and it's something where. If the person wasn't a fit for you, they're probably going to continue looking for a service like this, and they're going to go into a different um, company that's Mm -hmm. doing relatively the same-ish service, right? If they get burned by that person, they're swearing that off forever. They're swearing that off to their friends. I tried this. I got burned. It sucks. I'm never doing it again. I don't think you should do it either. It's like, well, okay, that's a great way to kill off the industry right there, right? Like we yeah. need to keep, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. That Correct. was insane, my mentor taught me. And I think that's so true, especially in this context.
0: Oh mate, just and that's that's that is and we we've gone we're, we're gone nearly an hour, so we'll, we'll wrap this up in a second. You same. were right, man. These
1: um, these do fly by. <laughs>
0: But, but it's, it's a it's a great piece of sage advice because you never ever, because there are so many salespeople and I've I've experienced it as well and I've been guilty, you know, both hands in the air here that you, you do find yourself getting sucked into the vortex of, of belittling your competition or being disparaging to your competition. And all that does is it just diminishes your own credibility. So don't do it. Of course. Don't do it. If anything, build them up. By all means, ask questions of your customers as to why they like doing business with your competitors or why they don't. That's just that's just common sense, and it's just it's just information you can gather. But don't don't sit there in the misery loves company party and and both look at a competition and disparage them because that's only it says more about you than it does about them. So, oh yeah. So yeah, mate. um With that, as we wrap this up, there's been a, a great conversation. As we said, time goes really quickly. Um, for yeah. somebody listening to this right now who maybe is interested in how do I expand my PR? How do I expand my reach? Um, what First of all, what advice would you give them in terms of how to maybe change? Because a lot of people might be just wedded to, well, I'm just going to use LinkedIn. I'm just going to use YouTube. I'm going to jump on TikTok and do some really weird videos and that'll get me a bit of, bit of market penetration. So what advice would you give them? And the second thing is how can people reach you um, to learn a little bit more about you, but also about the Empathy Firm?
1: Yeah, to answer the first question, which is a great question, you know, how can I start to do this myself? And there is a ton of ways to get free press um, that people don't necessarily realize. Now, it's not easy, and it's not quick. But oftentimes, that's what comes along with it being free, right? There's a ton of ways to uh, start to build your personal brand and build communities. And I, I won't sit here with exactly how to do it because you can find all that stuff at YouTube. If you look up my brother, Gavin Lira, he actually walks you through step by step exactly how to get free press. He walks you through exactly how to get published on some of these publications and stuff along those lines. You know, that's out there. But I think for at least me, it's always been like, okay, who between all the people that I work with now, what are their commonalities and what do they like about our system? And once you understand that, you can kind of say, okay, cool, this is the type of person or persona that I need to talk to and start to make some value-based content around that, right? Whether you're pushing that personally, I would push it on every platform, see which one has the most engagement and then be like, okay, cool. This is my priority. If I can still do all the other ones, great. But this one here is my priority. That's going to help you just stay in the game a lot longer because content takes forever. Um, To answer your second question, you know, how can you get in touch with us? What does that look like? It's very easy. Um, You can email me at grant, G-R-A-N-T, at empathyfirm.com. Again, grant at empathyfirm.com. as a thank you for your email um, and you know setting up a call together, we'll actually go ahead and we'll take all the legwork out of it for you guys, and we'll get you three free online publications um, completely on us. You know, no cost to you guys. Um, we're not going to make you do all the research on how to do it and everything. You just give us the articles. We'll get you published in three um, sources of online media on the house as a thank you for the call. Nice. Awesome. So worst case scenario, you get a kickstart to your brand.
0: Well, there you go sensational and they and to do that people just simply have to send an email to grant at empathyfirm.com.
1: yeah and just when you send me that email put the um for the subject line just put the title of this podcast so i know where yeah. you guys came from as well yeah. and then i can you know say oh yeah i remember that podcast i had a great time there it felt like <laughs> it felt like five minutes and i looked it at my did. clock and it was an that hour was later an hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sensational and uh i might also put uh i might also put connections for i'll put your website in the show notes as
1: well we wanted to that's empathyfirm.com. Yeah, perfect.
0: Awesome. Grant, been an absolute pleasure, my friend. I know it's uh late on a Thursday evening where you are in Wisconsin. I think it's probably around 10 past eight PM. So You're either correct. you've eaten
1: or you've eaten already or it's about to be dinner time for you. Um I, I ate before this and you know I had a break in my day which was actually about 45 minutes. So I'm like, okay, time to go down there, make something quick. Get, get in the zone, get everything set up. So I, I'm not going to lie to you. I was racing the clock when I got up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
0: won't tell you that I had about five minutes grace myself because all the stuff I was doing this morning, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, it's been fantastic having a conversation with you, mate. Thank you so much for uh, being a guest on the podcast, um, added lots and lots of value. And, um, I always, um, I always like the fact that when I get off a call like this, it's about what have I learned. And, um, i a stack so greatly appreciate you sharing your pearls of wisdom and all the very best with the empathy firm as it, as it moves forward
1: yeah darren this was a blast um you're a great host and i i really appreciate coming out here
0: awesome buddy enjoy the rest of your thursday and uh we'll talk soon likewise peace out cheers mate